<laughs> so good. Okay, everybody, we are live with another episode of Lifestyle Medicine. So today I've got Dr. Ananya Harvey. And Ananya, you know, I had seen, you actually reached out to me. You had done something kind of cool on Facebook, which was, you sent me a message. And I thought it was great that you did this. You said, hi, we're friends on Facebook. I have no idea how we became friends, but I would like to reach out and, and meet people who are in the wellness field and get to know a little bit about them, which I really appreciated. Uh, and we had a 20 minute call. I scheduled with you and we talked and we got to hear about, um, I got to hear about your work, but for the, for the audience, would you do me that courtesy and just sort of flush out what you do? Because I think what you're doing is very interesting and I have lots of questions. So, um, yeah, let's hear it. Thanks, Grayson. Yeah, yeah, that was such a great 20 minute call that we had. And I love that you answered and we're so friendly. So <laughs> yeah, you here bet. we are. Yeah, yeah. here we are. <laughs> um, so right now, I the way I talk about my work is I'm an embodied leadership and love coach. Um, but that comes from a series of permutations of understanding, you know, what exactly it is that I do and who yeah. I am. And um my formal academic training is I'm an organic chemist, uh, which is where the doctor part comes from, from my PhD. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, but the part of my coaching training, um, it comes from four years of embodied experience. I lived, um, in a community where I did full-time practice of meditation, Hatha yoga, neo-tantric sexuality, and classical tantric philosophy. Um, a lot, so a lot in yeah. there, it was yeah. a big melting pot of things. And then I did this training with another teacher to become a sex, love and relationship coach. Uh, so I generally work in the field of helping people succeed in their personal relationships and in their professional relationships. Mm. Um, but my passion has always been around sexuality and reclaiming it from shame, reclaiming it from it being this thing that we don't talk about from this thing that's just supposed to work that we have no education around yeah. because I know in my life I wasn't able to fully succeed professionally um, when I was suppressing that side of, of who I was, of my human being. Yep. So that's kind of it in a nutshell. Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely interesting. And I think when you told me that you were in this line of work and where you had been, you had gone from sort of the Western science into this tantric, yeah. you know, field and, and focusing on sexuality. And you said something really interesting about your path. You said there was at some point you were mixing, I think something toxic in a lab, you were mixing components and you were like, this is not exactly what I think I'm supposed to be doing. And it was sort of this aha moment and you shifted gears and started uh, focusing more on this. And, you know, the, the, I guess there's a lot to ask. Like I have a lot of different directions I wanted to go with this. But I think the thing you just touched on, you know, you said you were doing better in life when you weren't suppressing that side of yourself, when you weren't mm -hmm. uh, pushing down. Yeah, like our sexual nature in a sense, like, you know, not, not being fully um, expressed in that area. So what do you think, like when you talk to people and you're talking to Americans and you're, you know, which is a collectively a very repressed, sexually repressed culture, like we're very bound down and it's a weird relationship we have with sex. What do you say is kind of like the buy-in factor? Like I have my ideas, but why do you think it's important for us to be fully sexually expressed and how does that relate to like how we live our lives and how we, you know, show up and all of that? 
Mm -hmm. That's a really good question. So I remember thinking even since I was very young that it seemed like one of the main causes of suffering in our culture is repressed desire or just unmet desire. I mean, Mm -hmm. this is the ways in which people get hurt so much. And even now with the Me Too movement, you can see that that it's true, that one of the fundamental things that's not going right is we're not able to own our desire, be aware of it, express it skillfully, or even in a non-harmful way, and have it met. And, you know, even there's epidemics of loneliness and suicide, especially among men right now. Um, And there's a whole communities of men who feel very isolated and alone. Um, And, you know, there's so many women that have suffered, you know, abuse or just so much around trying to show up in the world as a sexual being. So I think it's one of the fundamental ways in which we suffer. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I agree. And mm-hmm. uh, people, like you said, you know, people, it, it's both sides, right? Like people are, su- people are suffering, um, not just yeah. men and women. And it, and, it, and it does go both ways. And like, what are your thoughts on... I've, I've, I've watched some of your social media posting and I've seen some of the stuff that you post and I love that you're fully a voice for women, like an empowered voice. And at the same time, you've also in a way said, look, I'm not defending men, but I'm also saying that I acknowledge they're in pain and that there are some, there are some toxicities here that, uh, men need attention to. They need like, I don't know if, how I would characterize exactly what you're saying, but I, I really, I really appreciated that you were hitting both sides. You were saying there's mm-hmm. two sides to this equation and it's not just one mm-hmm. side. It's not all victimization. It's not all whatever. And what are you seeing kind of nowadays with, you, you kind of touched on a little bit. You said, you know, men are really not doing well. What do you think at the crux? Is there is it more to it than just the desire piece, like that repressed desire? Is there, I guess, more to it and what's causing men to be, um, yeah, I guess unhappy and maybe yeah, these old stereotypes of men just being highly sexually aggressive. Like, what are your thoughts on that? Well, it's definitely a multifaceted thing. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, there's um, there's so much going on economically in our country that is also very challenging. You know, as the, the divide between the very ultra-rich and everyone else gets bigger and bigger. So For sure. it's not only sexuality, but the sexuality piece was something I had a calling for and it was a healing that I lived through in my own life, like this Mm. very deep transformation. And so it's where I felt I could be of service. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you think that, um, you know, people have said this, I've read this and I, it's been true in my own life, but I think this is something that's true. Um, but I would like to hear your thoughts on it, that sexuality and creativity are pretty closely linked. And in the sense that, uh, you know, creating a life, quite literally creating a human being is, you know, that comes from the sexual act, but, 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 but the energy, right. The spectrum of creativity and how we show up in creating relationships, creating businesses, creating just creation in general is tied to this sexual expression. And one of my teachers, um, my face reading teacher, Lillian Bridges, she had talked about this a while back and it got me thinking about what you were saying. She said, a lot of serial killers have all this like repressed sexual trauma is like almost oh, a, yeah. a lot of them, they have this baseline thing of, of that relationship. And she said, when you suppress sexual energy and then you've got all these other factors on it, right? The very thing that should give life will take life. And these people do take life. They're, they become killers. 
So I would love to yes. hear. I would like to hear your thoughts on like creativity, sexuality, how those link, and like what you maybe what you see in your work with it. Oh, that's such a great question. And I then want to hear how this lines up with your side of the the Chinese medicine side. Sure, sure. Um, So first, I actually wanted to say your previous question. The other thing that I think is going on here and it's related is what I call man box culture, Mm. where a lot of men feel that from a very early age, there's this very strict box of expectations that are put on them, like from, you know, teenagers or as tweens and that... um, you know, you're not allowed to feel, express any emotion. You're not allowed to have affection or deep relationships with anyone. You know, you're not allowed to have conscious communication. The only things that matter are how many people you sleep with, how strong or violent you are, and how much you achieve, right? So it's this very rigid box where boys just aren't allowed to feel and aren't allowed to connect mm-hmm. and aren't allowed to express their full spectrum of humanity. And I think that is incredibly damaging and they have to suppress you know, their trauma or whatever might have been going on for them. Mm-hmm. And it comes out in these harmful ways later in life. Um, yeah, so that's a big one. Yeah. And um, I like to help men reclaim the full expression of their basic humanity. Yeah. Um, yeah. So in terms of creativity, it's a really interesting question, you know, um, because I think there's some contradictions about what my teachers taught me and what I see in the world. And mm-hmm. yet it's still... It still applies. So, you know, my teachers from the Hatha Yoga and the the Tantra side of the coin definitely taught me that um, sexual energy is one of the most powerful creative forces that we have, you know, as you said, because we can make new life with it. Yep. And if you learn to become aware of your desire, aware of your sexual energy and move it in your body in a conscious way, you can use it to help you in your creative projects, right? Mm-hmm. And Um, in some of the old traditions, it's even, they even go so far as to say, you know, for men to control how often you ejaculate so that you conserve this life force energy and use it instead for creative projects. Mm -hmm. Now, um, I have lived in, in a community where a lot of men were practicing controlling how often they ejaculate. And it was fascinating to me. So I did a project where I interviewed as many of them as I could and just asked them about, you know, several questions about what it was like. Mm-hmm. And the majority did say to me that once they stopped ejaculating, they did feel a huge... Um, up-leveling of their energy and their creativity and their vitality. Like they just didn't realize mm-hmm. how much it took from them, you know, in terms of energy, in terms of happiness, because most men never go for a period of two weeks without ejaculating. Mm-hmm. But once they did that experiment, they realized, you know, you go for two weeks without it and then you try it again and then you're like, oh my gosh, I feel exhausted now. Yeah. I don't want that in my life. Yeah. Um, but it's not across the board. It doesn't affect every man the same. Sure. Um, and then we have to look at the world and look how many masterpieces of art, of music, uh, you know, of dance, so many masterpieces we have from Europe, for example, from the Renaissance, I mean, from all over the world. And I really doubt that all of these men were practicing controlling their ejaculation. I mean, maybe they all were and it's some big secret, but right. not as far as I can tell, right? Yep. So... It's not like you won't be able to create something if you don't do this practice. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does have, but it also does have undeniable effects in a lot of men. I would agree. And 
So to kind of answer your question, I have thoughts on what you just said, but to answer your question, the Chinese medicine lens is actually very similar. So they, they talk about this um, containing, you know, re- restraining Jing, you know, your, your, your vital essence and not ejaculating as consistently. Because men, the, the basic thinking is men lose a lot of their life force through ejaculation and mm-hmm. quite a bit um, and it replenishes relatively quickly, you know, within a number of days technically to get to a baseline, but we lose a lot. Women mm-hmm. don't lose much of any. They, use, they lose a little bit when they menstruate and then they lose mm-hmm. a ton when they give birth. Like that's kind of where they, mm-hmm. so all it's like accumulated mm-hmm. in one big shot, you know, what like childbirth is where they, a lot of the essence goes because they literally fabricate another human being out of their tissues. Like it's, you know, like right. it, it pulls on them in a very different way. So uh-huh. there's that idea, but yeah, that's, that's kind of, there's Chinese medicine has some really interesting links that the, you know, your sexual vitality, your bones and your marrow, they call it the sea of marrow in the brain. All of that stuff is linked like the kidney system, sexual vitality, uh, the bones, your marrow. So the way they see it, it's almost like your marrow is like your deepest in most internal essence. That's where we produce a lot of, you know, our immune response. There's all kinds of crazy stuff that happens in the bones, but they say, if you're constantly ejaculating, you're pulling on that deep reserve. And it's mm-hmm. something that when it pulls on the deep reserves may feel good in the moment, but left unchecked throughout a lifetime where you're just constantly ejaculating. Yeah. The very thing that you do for creativity, for drive, uh, you know, learning how, cause it is life force, right? It's the thing that replicates life. So if you can mm-hmm. serve it in theory, right, you can hold on to it and use that creativity in other areas. Like you, it's just kind of allocating resources in a different direction. Um, uh-huh. so they have that idea. It's very similar. And at the same time, I watched men when I was treating people in acupuncture clinic, like when I was in school, there were mm-hmm. men who were like in their twenties, maybe like 20 and they were coming in and they had read some Qigong book and they're like, I haven't ejaculated in like six months. And they were, they had all the signs of like bottled up heat. They had like red tongues uh-huh. and they were kind of manic. They were almost fidgety. Like they were on drugs and it was uh-huh. for that age. It was like, Whoa, I said, why, first of all, why are you retaining for that long? And they said, well, right. Because I read it in this book that you're like longevity. And I was, I was like, look, <laughs> like, yes, but there's also a flow to like just living life and like ejaculating also and having some release, right? Be, being balanced about it. And right. um, they were like, well, what herbs do I take? And I was like, look, you need to go home and ejaculate. Like it's been too long. Mm-hmm. It's been too long. You need to go either take care of it yourself or go with your partner, but go do that. And, you know, like at least once a week, like just see how you feel for yeah. the next month. And I... They came back a month later, like all their symptoms were gone. No herbs. I mean, I did give them, uh-huh. acu- I did give them acupuncture that day, but just the release of once a week is what sort of got them back to a baseline health. So mm-hmm. I like what you said, right? There's like, it's not true for every man technically, but I think there's a principle, mm-hmm. uh, a mechanism that we can all like learn from that, you know, being mindful of our sexual energy yes. and, the re- and how we release it, if that makes sense. Yes. I love that point. I mean, that is just not in our culture at all. And I think it's a real shame. I mean, the idea is to just kind of mindlessly ejaculate while watching porn all the time. And um, you're missing something. That's the model. Right? Yeah. yeah, We're missing some awareness, some discipline, some other potentials that lie in the human body for this energy. Mm -hmm. Um, And... um, I mean, I think that when that's why I think this practice is so helpful of learning 
non-ejaculatory orgasm for men because it sounds like it's just a cool trick on the outside, but it's actually incredibly deep because if you're going to go and start to choose when you ejaculate, then you have to take stock of your entire life, your physical health, your emotional health, your partner's emotional health, and whether they get their sense of self-worth from your ejaculation. Mm. You know what I mean? And and also your resolve and your discipline, like how addicted are you to that dopamine rush? Yeah. So also what you eat, how well you sleep, like mm -hmm. all of these things come into play when you bring your awareness there and you start to think, okay, well, what do I want to do with my desire? All of a sudden, it's not like you get that tight, hot feeling and it just drives you unconsciously to seek out release. But once now you have this awareness like, oh, I'm really turned on right now. What do I want to do with this energy? It's super empowering to realize, okay, I can do so many other things with it besides ejaculate. Um, well, that, yeah. that, that's a, that concept, I mean, I think nowadays is a, it's a showstopper. It's, it's a powerhouse yeah. hitter to think of that because it's so foreign to most men. Like that's such a huge, crazy disconnect. Like, wait, 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 what do you mean I can do something else with the energy? Because I mean, mm -hmm. the knee jerk response is, yeah, like, a, a, you know, arousal. It's like, go release it, go take care of it, you know, go get, get yeah. it, get it out of your system as opposed to maybe circulate it and cultivate it and use it. Like that's so mm -hmm. different. That's such a crazy thing to think about. Um, uh -huh. in the content, I mean, not in the line of work I am or you're in, but I think for like most Americans, like when I talk to men about this, they're like, what, <laughs> like, yeah. what the hell are you talking about? Like, what does that even, yeah. what does that even mean? What do you say to men? Cause I, okay. So this is what, this is the wall, not a wall, but like, this is the hurdle I've hit with some men. I've talked to friends who are going through, um, various different things throughout their life. Sometimes anxiety, sometimes depression, sometimes, um, you know, relationship problems, work problems, it doesn't really matter. But like when I talk to men and one of the suggestions I say to them is like, Hey, maybe consider if I ask them and I'm like, how often are you ejaculating? They're like, Oh, you know, five to seven days a week. I'm like, maybe peel that back and, um, you know, peel it back and we'll talk about why. But the, a lot of times there's like, no way, there's no way I could peel back from that. And it's, it's almost like it's cause it's just a programming. It's like, Mm -mm. Like I couldn't do that possibly. And why would I, what would be the value, you know, in mm -hmm. that? So have you had men completely just be like, mm -mm. like that doesn't seem possible or like, I just can't do it. Does it, does that happen? And like, what's your response to that? Um, I have not most of the time, by the time a man wants to come work with me, they're yeah. ready. <laughs> they're you ready. Know, yeah. They, they want to explore something. Fair enough. Um, but my response to that is a lot of compassion because, you know, it's ironic, but you know, women aren't supposed to have desire like men do, but that's hogwash. I mean, once women become aware of their own bodies and their own desire, there is also that in me. And I know I can use self-pleasure for stress relief as well. Um, you know, mm -hmm. and that's what most men seem to use it for. It's like their go-to for stress relief yep. without realizing it's also quite addictive because it releases a lot of dopamine in the brain. Mm -hmm. um, so what you have to do is tell, get him to have another go-to mechanism for relieving stress. Mm -hmm. And that can be quite hard because masturbation is really effective. Yeah. Um, so it is, it takes a lot. You have to really want it. You have to really want to change and believe that something else is possible. And that's a good place to get people to like to even to open their mind to that possibility, because I think that's what I've appreciated about 
your work and what you're doing is that you're opening that doorway for people to think about. I mean, it's a really, that's a portal that if you can't get through, right? Like how do you shift it? How do you shift gears in a new way? If you can't, if you can't get behind that basic idea that there's, there's something available to you if you actually, um, yeah, withhold and you funnel it somewhere. Yeah. Thank you. I I am trying to do that to hold the door open in a way that's accessible because for me as a scientist, you know, for, my entire scholastic and academic career, I was a strict rationalist, a scientist. I wasn't open to any other dimension of reality, the spiritual, the esoteric, nothing like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought science was the only way to know anything and anything else was a slippery slope to just wishful thinking and magical thinking and all of that. Yeah. So um, it was really hard for me to cross over. Also, what I was taught was that any of our ecstatic practices were, they were kind of ew and gross and they would like lead you somewhere bad, right? So even just like ecstatic dance, ecstatic breath work, anything that brought a level of joy and flooded the being with with ease and happiness, those things were not um, available to me in the culture I was raised in. Mm. Um, so... Um, crossing over, but, but little by little, as I became exposed to other ways of doing things, and this is what, you know, helped me see that something else was possible. It kind of checkmated my brain. And I was like, wait a minute, I don't actually understand what's going on in my body right now, but I like it (laughs) and I don't need to understand. Right. So little by little, I just started exploring and opening to these other practices. Um, and that helped me um, go deeper into things that, um, where the result didn't seem obvious at the beginning. Right. Yeah. Do you, well, can we, let's backtrack a little bit. Cause so you had mentioned, um, it is a key phrase. And I think for a lot of men for like myself, I, I thought this was basically, I thought it was bullshit up, up until about <laughs> yeah. 2014. Yeah, for 2014, about five years ago. So I had read in lots of Qigong books that men could have full body orgasm, um, but not ejaculate. And mm-hmm. I thought, that's bullshit. <laughs> like, I just, I really did. I thought, that's bullshit. Like, that doesn't sound even remotely possible. And then yeah. some of the physical techniques that, like, these books would give about, no. you know, like trying to, like, snug up your perineum or, or whatever. Um, they never worked. Like if, you know, whether I was with a partner or, you know, self administering, right. it just didn't happen. And I thought these are techniques I'm willing to explore, but it never really landed for me. And I, and I just couldn't get it to happen. Um, and then, you know, in 2014, something happened. I had this really crazy pivotal time when my, my now wife put me, we'd been together for five years and she put me, she basically an ultimatum. She's like, look, you're out of school. <laughs> we've been together five years. I've always wanted to like make a kid with you and I want to get married. You know, I want to do this thing. And in a typical stereotypical male, I just was like, like I freaked out. I was like, I don't know what to do. You know, I had a very non-committal response and just, I had all this anxiety. I had this crazy dream, which I'm not going to go into right now, but just this archetypal phenomenal dream where I had this peak anxiety in my life. And when I woke up from the dream, it was gone. And within a two day period, um, during sexual activity, my body kind of took on, I don't know what you want to call it, kind of an abdominal, my body did it basically. And like I had, you know, um, essentially an orgasm without the ejaculation. And it happened inadvertently after this very large decision I had made 
And there's a whole Chinese medicine thing to that. Like, I think in the end, it was like I was choosing to funnel my life force towards family and life in a completely new direction. And like mm. the perk of that seemed to be like my body kind of learned how to do it. Um, wow. but, but I stumbled upon it and it mm-hmm. was an accident. And, um, I've told men about this, close friends of mine, and they're like, wow, so that's really a thing. I'm like, it's totally a thing, but I would love to hear, I think, you know, a lot more about it. You know, like what I know about it is kind of like I've stumbled into a a body, a body mechanism that I can do now. Um, but I know there's more to it than that. And what I stumbled upon it, I think is just a small fraction of what maybe is possible. So if you could talk about the whole that whole wheelhouse. Like I'm curious and I think the people listening mm-hmm. probably are too. <laughs> mm-hmm. Sure. Yep. So yeah, I will talk about this. There is so much to say. Um, you know, first of all, I want to make the distinction that, um, because I practice a number of different disciplines and I practice both classical Tantra, which has nothing to do with sex, pleasure, ejaculation, or anything like that. Mm-hmm. It is a practice focused on meditation and the science of consciousness. Like, you know, what, who are we, where do we come from? It's an incredible practice, but it's focused on meditation and mantra use. Mm. And then there's Neo-Tantra, which is completely different, but most people think Neo-Tantra is Tantra. Um, And it's under Neo-Tantra where we find all of these practices like sexual healing um, and a lot of the ejaculation control, the things focused on intimacy and pleasure and orgasms and stuff like this. Um, So the male... The male sexuality is actually really super rich and complex and diverse, but you guys never get taught that, yeah. right? There's nobody teaches us anything. And, yeah, it's very true. Uh, it's terrible. Yeah. So I also thought that it was bullshit. Like, I just thought also it sounded just very strange to be able to um, orgasm without ejaculation. But when I took a step back and started talking to men about their sexuality, and as a coach, I am so grateful and honored to get to hear from so many men about their experiences. And it has greatly broadened my appreciation for men and understanding of your sexuality. But um, many men have actually had the experience of ejaculating without orgasming, mm-hmm. like where you just ejaculate, but it doesn't feel pleasurable. Wow. But yeah, that's actually much more common. And this is the entry point I use. Yeah, because scientifically, orgasm happens in your brain, whereas ejaculation is a reflex mediated by the spine. Mm. Yeah. So what happens, so they don't have to come at the same time. They don't have to. But science is pretty far behind. When you look up studies on this, they'll be talking about male ejaculation and calling it orgasm. Yeah. (laughs) So science really hasn't come to the point of separating them for us yet. But I have witnessed many, 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 many men have repeated energetic orgasms over and over again that look like a woman's orgasm and they don't ejaculate. Uh-huh. Um, so it is very possible. Um, so you're lucky that you stumbled across it. That's not super common. No. However, it does it does occur. There is a fraction of men in the world who have always been able to do this and it just comes naturally to their bodies to be able to run energy that way. Mm-hmm. Also, there are a lot of men who have full body orgasms. They just don't realize it because nobody ever told them that that thing existed. 
Mm. Um, I actually had a partner and that was the case with him. And as soon as I told him about it, he was like, oh my God, I can do that. And then he at will made himself do as many as he wanted um, once he recognized what it was. Wow. But yeah. So like, right, there's so many incredible things that men experience. There's also a number of men for whom they never ejaculate. Like they have sex, but they can't actually manage to bring themselves to ejaculate. Right. Which is the opposite from the most common problem, which is ejaculating before you want to. Mm-hmm. So it's diverse. <laughs> Um, yeah. Now, if you are a man and you are used to, um, ejaculating and orgasming at the same time and you want to start to separate that, normally it's really hard to get it from a book because mm-hmm. those practices are just so outside of the range of right what we normally do with our bodies. Yeah. So I would suggest you need a teacher, you need someone to guide you and follow you to make sure you keep at it. Mm-hmm. So there's different ways to to achieve this. And let me know if I'm going on too long. But No, not at all. Yeah, I know. This is okay. like, I mean, I know this is a, I mean, it's not, I know it wasn't a simple answer. So like, have at it. Yeah, like definitely <laughs> chew, okay. chew away. Yeah, the floor is yours. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. So the way to go about it, I would say, is first stop watching porn. Not because porn, all porn is evil or anything like that, but just because it trains your body to ejaculate. That's mm-hmm. basically what it's most of porn is is aiming toward. It's a very goal oriented yep. um, form of entertainment. So what you have to do is shift your focus from the goal to just the process of pleasure, the process of having sex, or the process of self pleasure, which is the word I use for masturbation. Um, so stop watching porn and then tell yourself, okay, I'm not going to ejaculate for the next two weeks. And then you need to develop a conscious self-pleasure practice where even if you're not ejaculating every single day, you need to masturbate. I would say try to do it for 20 to 30 minutes where you're repeatedly edging yourself. So you need to start also using the pleasure scale from 1 to 10 where 1 is you're not hard at all and 10 is you're ejaculating. And start to go up to like a 7 and then pull yourself back or an 8 and then pull yourself back, right, or a 9. So you need Mm -hmm. to train your body repeatedly in this way. Um, at the same time, and this is a system that I, de- I developed that I walk men through in my coaching, you need to start to learn to develop your own tool. So what is it that you use to circulate your energy? What is it that works for you? Is it relaxing completely? Is it squeezing your muscles? Is it breathing really slowly and deeply? Is it just using your mind and your focus? Is it some combination of those? Mm. And then there are some esoteric yogic techniques that I teach you to do with your body that give a really strong experience of moving energy in a new way. Um, So at the same time, like I said, you need to be taking a really good look at, you know, are you drinking a lot every night because if your body is constantly processing alcohol, that's going to make you less able to move energy up. Mm. Uh, are you in good physical shape? Do you, uh, do you eat healthy? Do you get to have regular sex? Um, the other thing is, um, if you're going to stop ejaculating, like you saw with your patients, uh, that's going to build up a whole lot of energy. And so you have got to have some sort of ecstatic energy moving process in order to deal with that energy, whether it's Qigong or intensive flow yoga or martial arts or something where you're constantly circulating your energy through your body. So it doesn't all just build up and stagnate 
um, in your pelvic area. That's really, really, really important. And the younger you are, the more intensively you have to have something like that. It could also be something like running, but that by itself, if you're not also moving the energy, probably isn't enough. Can I just um, add, pause you real quick? That. Yeah, pause, but keep, I want you to keep your train of thought, but that's, um, very similar Chinese medicine, very similar. Essentially, if you're going to, um, I don't like to say bottle up or damn the sexual energy, but if you're going to contain it in some way, mm-hmm. you have to move the, the so that like the body, they say Jing, Qi, and Shen. Jing is the physical, Qi is the energetic, and Shen, or like spirit, is the immaterial. And if you're mm-hmm. going to conserve the material essence, right, like in the body, in men or women, mm-hmm. you've got to circulate mm-hmm. it physically. Like you have to do mm-hmm. something physical so that it just, like you said, it doesn't just rattle and just make you you know, manic or whatever. So yeah, it's definitely very similar. Yep. And I can say that as a woman, um, when I also learned these practices, obviously not so I wouldn't ejaculate, but just the energy moving practices, I, I had awareness for the first time over my pleasure too. And I realized, you know, during sex, I tended to build pleasure just in one part of my body and then go for like that big peak experience orgasm. But I noticed that once I became aware of the pleasure, I could, so I was a yogini for many years and I have a lot of practice moving my body and my breath and my energy, but so I could, I could notice that buildup and then start to move and spread it out through my body. And I could Mm. like make my arms tingle or move it up to my brain and make my brain tingle. I mean, and so, and that led to a state of consciousness, a level of vibrancy and aliveness and awareness in my body that made sex just completely electric and so nourishing and so deeply satisfying. And I was just like, so just alive afterwards. Um, and that's what I, and that's what can happen for men too. I think it's a little bit harder because your bodies are just so, so strongly trained to do the other thing to ejaculate but that's what it can be like for both of us that's Um, that's a that's a great invitation like to have on the table i think for men in general because like you said like we've said kind of throughout this whole talk so far is that that's not on the table for a lot of men and and i've asked men this question too um how have there been times or instances in your lives with a partner or in your past where sex has been therapeutic or healing? Like there, there was something that transformed yeah. where it opened up something, even if it wasn't a long-standing partner, but you two just linked and something was therapeutic. And a lot of guys are like, no, it's always just a, it's like a, it's an outlet, you know, just for Mm-mm. like, it's, it's kind of one dimensional, you know, and some guys for sure, yeah. I would say guys that are just, you know, maybe a little more emotionally sensitive or that are just tuned into like I don't know alternative health and whatnot sure like they're like yeah man absolutely but a lot of guys they're like no like sexual no. healing sexual healing like what is that and that's always been uh sad to me because I think to look at sex just as an ejaculatory release you know or just as orgasm it's pretty limited I mean that's a pretty narrow bandwidth to put that in. And that's usually where a lot of people stay though. That's kind of where it begins and ends. Yeah. I'm so glad you understand. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really sad. And I think it causes a lot of loneliness and suffering in our society. Like I was saying at the beginning, 
Um, and there is such a profound and deep experience available to us as humans. And the thing is, it's free. <laughs> Anybody can do it. Yeah. You just have to bring a little awareness and discipline and, and you can have this experience in your life. And I, I've thought a lot about, you know, why isn't this more widely known? Why aren't we all sat down and taught that our bodies can do this and we can do this together and for each other to bring this profound enlivening and healing? Because sometimes in sex, I'll cry. It's not necessarily because I'm sad, but it's just like, wow, this is amazing. And it's just like this huge release. And then I feel so much closer to my partner, you know? Mm-hmm. And so why isn't this information available to us? And, you know, I don't want to, I'm not someone who goes into conspiracy theories or anything like that, but I, I do think there is a big role that, that the church played in taking away oh, sexuality yeah. from us, taking away the innocence of it from us. Because that's the thing. When I was in my 30s, early 30s, and I started learning this stuff, I was like, wait a minute. You know, I was born with this. You know, I was born with my whole body and my sexual energy. And and yet I spent my entire life shaming and cutting off you know, the whole part of myself below the waist. But it's not something shameful or dirty or weird. It's just part I mean we were born (laughs) like it's part of our full humanity and I think it's just it's awful that it gets taken from us um yeah it does I mean keep going yeah I'm just I'm right there with you I'm right there with you (laughs) but in in being able to make love this way I found such such power and spiritual meaning um and fullness in life and I think somehow the idea that we could find the divine through our own body is was very threatening to established religion. Mm-hmm. And especially the power that women have in being able to make love this way. Um, it, it is There's so much healing in our bodies and so much deep connection and and also when women know themselves this way, um, We really love sex and want it to be a celebrated part of our lives. And having sexually liberated women is also very threatening um, (laughs) to to powers that be in our culture. And so I can see why it was so severely suppressed and shamed and taken away. Because this is power that's free and natural and available to all of us. And I think people just to, to like piggyback what you're saying, you know, there's a lot of vulnerability and I think people are terrified of vulnerability. I think men and women alike, like in American culture, people are, I think some people really understand that it's a tremendous currency if you can be vulnerable, because if you can be vulnerable yeah. and admit where, where you are like that, there's tremendous potential for growth and transformation a hundred percent. But I think even getting people to that front line of just vulnerability, because I think that's the thing that's freaked people out when I've heard them talk about this, like someone crying um, during Mm -hmm. sex, uh, man Mm -hmm. or woman, you know, and that's, Mm -hmm. that's like, wait a minute, wait, like this thing that should be joyous, quote unquote, but I'm crying. And therefore, I mean, you're being sex is about as intimate as it gets, right? I mean, it can be very shallow, but it can be very intimate. And I think yeah. to be vulnerable in that space 
I think freaks a lot of people out. I mean, there's just that, and it, there's a lot of ties to that. Like, why does that happen? Right? Shame, repression, but the mm-hmm. like, but the whole thing of like, I don't want to be seen, and I don't want to be, yeah. I don't want to be seen in everyday life, and I definitely don't want to be fully seen in sex. That's that's so deep. That's so. So I think it's like the profundity of how deep it can be freaks the shit out of people. I think they're just like, whoa, yeah. like, I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I'm ready for that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad you brought that up because that was my experience before mm-hmm. I left science. Anytime I, like, I definitely didn't want to be seen and I was so self-conscious during sex and I had all this shame come up anytime I tried to do anything a little bit outside of the norm, Right. And I just kept hitting this wall and I was like, I can't do it. It's overwhelming. Like, do you really like me? Do I like myself? Do we like each other? Like, is this okay? Isn't this weird? Yeah, it was a lot to handle. And I didn't have any resources, you know, like most scientists, I never received any education in emotional intelligence, conscious communication, how to have healthy relationships, good sex, nothing, right? Mm -hmm. So... It's terrifying when all you know is is the rational world and then these things come up that you can't control. Yeah, and yeah, that's exactly right. And I think it's like telling the story, right? I, I feel what I've always liked about and maybe what you like about this, the lineage you study and what I study, I like the way they paint the picture. I like the way the medicine is delivered to people. Uh, Chinese medicine, the five elements the theory about yin and yang. There, there's all of these things that they do that I really enjoy the tapestry that it paints because it's artistic, it's intuitive, you can plug into it, and it's, it is artistic. And I think that the story that's told in the West about sex, sexuality, pleasure, you know, bliss and connection and vulnerability in that space, the story is told very one-dimensionally. It's not a pretty story. It's a very, like you said, there's a lot of strongholds. There's a lot of what can't be done. And if you do this, or if a woman, you know, is enjoying sex that she's, you know, there's all those weird standards where if a man sleeps with a lot of women, he's a stud. If a woman does it, you know, and, and she's totally she's conscious about it, she's a slut. And it's, it's just so stupid to get into these ways of thinking, but it's real. I mean, the programming is really strong. It's been yep. there for quite a while. And I know that's part of the unwinding that I think people are dealing with. It's like the social programming, not just, not that if like, right, our own stuff is plenty to deal with anyway, but then on top of that, you've got the culture, you've got family, you've got friends, you've got, you know, all the people that are like, that's a, that's a, that's a dizzying array of variables for people to handle. And I think that's part of the, why they're thwarted when they come into this stuff. Snarly. Yes, absolutely. And I also think, you know, for me personally, that whole scene of Neo Tantra just seemed weird and creepy and ooh to me. I didn't like the aesthetic. I didn't like it just seemed like an excuse to be totally mindlessly libertine. And I didn't like that either. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I came in from a, a different route ultimately. Um it was like I had a moment of of stepping into femi- my feminine and uh, that I had been repressing my entire life like I I thought that in order to get ahead I had to be respected in spite of being a woman right cuz in science I I just had to like 
pretend I hoped that no one could tell that I was female <laughs> so mm-hmm. they would respect me for my work you know I didn't want to get ahead because of attraction or looks or anything like that mm-hmm. so you know I cut my hair short I wore really ugly clothes I never wore makeup or jewelry I really just focused on my science yeah and I was trying so hard to be someone I wasn't but then one day I was doing a ritual um at a, a Tantra workshop that I was very skeptical about and, it, and I didn't want to do it, but I was in a process of saying yes to things that scared me. Um, and it was just like, boom, I just opened to this, this like waterfall of energy. And I was like, Oh, this is the feminine. Like I don't have to try so hard. It's, it's just been here waiting for me my entire life. And I realize now I want to be respected because of my feminine qualities, not mm. in spite of them. Yeah. But once I stepped into sort of reclaiming like my body, my sensuality, and I stopped repressing my desire, then it was like sex just exploded. It just opened into a whole other realm. Yeah. Um, and I started and I was in a place where men were practicing non-ejaculatory orgasm so they were no longer driving toward their ejaculation during sex. And instead, sex became all about me and how deep I could go into my pleasure and how deep our connection could go. Um, and so from there, things just developed in my life. But I'm so, so grateful that that happened to me. I, I wasn't looking for that to happen. I didn't even know what that was, that I was suppressing my feminine, really. Um, but, you know... We can't, sometimes it's just time for us to, to know something or face something, right? Or come to a different understanding and we don't have a choice. These things just come to us in our lives and then you have to decide what to do with it. They find you, right? I mean, that's, that's kind of, I love, I like that about life. I really do. I really enjoy that these things find us. And I think it always kind of points to like, there is a design maybe for our, our life signature and I, I, I love it that, th- that these things do find us. And I'm glad it found you, you know, that it opened up that part of you because I think that's, um, you're not alone. Like I said, I, when I, when I, when you started telling me what you did, I was like, oh my God, I have not had a quote unquote, someone who's in this specific area about this thing. And I think, I mean, sexual vitality is such a pivotal piece to health. It's so damn important and it's so overlooked, you know, in a lot of ways. Let me ask you this, slightly shifting gears. Um mm-hmm. We've talked a lot about um, about men, you know, and, and there's the roles that we're kind of trained to take on in terms of the, like, this is what men do, right? They watch porn, they're aggressive, they do this thing, and it's a, it's a pretty narrow thing, a channel that we have to walk. And I think women, excuse me, get put into the same kind of box in a different way. That aside, yeah. you know, I've talked to a lot of men, and when I talk to men, because um, part of what I do with Chinese medicine is you're, there's an emotional intake, right? It's like their digestion, their stools. Yes. Um, all of that, <laughs> the color of their face. And then it's like, yeah, but what's happening in your social circles, what's happening in your relationships, what's happening. So all these things kind of come up. And when I'm talking to them, one of the most consistent things I hear across the board, and these are, these are good men. Like some of them I know personally, some are, you know, uh, through professional dealings, but they're like the good natured, good hearted men. And it's very yeah. consistent where they say, you know, my, uh, especially for the married men, they're like, you know, my, my wife, uh, my partner, 
will not instigate or rarely instigates sexual activity. And the man is the man is still in the traditional quote unquote sense. They're still kind of the aggressor. They're the one pursuing sex. They're the ones that are um, quote unquote wanting it more or at least showing it, you know, but it's a consistent thread that I, I really see quite a bit of where I'm not sure the mechanism. This is kind of my question to you. Like, is it, um, you know, why is that happening? And as people, mm-hmm. right, outside of like what we should and shouldn't do, but like what are our roles a little bit like in terms of masculine and feminine and that relationship between like how do we mm-hmm. um, sexually advance on our partner so that it stays balanced? Because a lot of what I hear in the men is um, shame, you know, even if they're like in shape and they feel good about themselves and they're in, they're in good standing with their partner, they just, it's, they could hurt them. They're kind of like, she never like wants me. And once she's into it, she's yeah. like into it, you know, she enjoys it, but there's never that like where, where they're making the move. And that's, it is common. And I would love to hear your thoughts on like why that happens in the roles. Yeah. Just the mechanics of that. Mm, such a good question. Um, and yeah, thank you. I think men are so thirsty for that feeling of being completely received Yeah, of just like, oh, and it really does something so deep for a man's soul when he gets that. Yeah. And um, so there's a few answers here. So first I want to say that in my work, masculine doesn't mean men and feminine doesn't sure. mean women. I think it's similar in your discipline. Yeah. We all have masculine and feminine aspects within us. Correct. Uh, and we can choose to be whichever uh, play in that spectrum. Um, of possibility. So one, so the spiritual answer would be a lot of women are in their masculine because in our culture, the feminine is completely shamed. Anything having to do with desire, you're a slut, right? Anything having to do with emotions, oh, you're emotional, irrational, and you're not worth, you're not worthy of a job, right? Anything having to do with femininity, like loving your body? No, we're told that women's bodies are gross and disgusting and shameful and you should hide that, right? So when you're suppressing everything in the feminine and you're only in your masculine, (laughs) there's no receptivity there and there's no desire. You've cut off like a lot of us, myself included, were cut off from the neck down and just only existing in the life of the mind. Yeah, because if you take a look around in our culture, reason is the only thing that's valued. Um, it's all these very masculine qualities like um, analysis, ever increasing productivity, work, 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 work all the time. Just anything that's linear or going up, those are the only things that are valued. Anything having to do with the feminine, like anything that's cyclical, even nature, we've completely raped nature, mm-hmm. uh, the environment, right? Or yep. feelings. Feelings are considered just garbage (laughs) and weakness yeah right or getting into the body is also considered kind of like weird and gross so that would be the spiritual reason Mm -hmm. i think that this happens to Mm -hmm. women another reason would be a huge percentage of women have sexual trauma um i think you know one in three women have been sexually assaulted in their life and Mm -hmm. so then your whole vagina just closes down and you're like nope I don't want it. And you may not even be aware of it, right? Another large percentage of women have pain during sex. Um, I think it also may be 30% or more. Wow. Maybe it's even more. Yeah. Um, Sex is painful for women to a large extent. 
And then there's the whole cultural conditioning. So if you're raised in a religion where your entire life sex is shameful and you should not want it and you should not do it and God forbid you ever go near that. And then all of a sudden when you get married, you're supposed to have sex and love it. It does not compute, right? You can't make that shift. So I think that there needs to be more spaces where women can be celebrated because of their femininity, mm-hmm. not in spite of it. And it's terrifying. It was terrifying for me to step into flirting with the world, to owning my desire, to daring to wear lipstick and show up as feminine. I thought I would just be harassed, insulted, and never respected again for any work I did. I thought I would only mm. be wanted as a sex object. And that's terrifying. Yeah. Mm. Those are the few of the reasons that come to mind. I mean, Another reason, honestly, I have to say is that quite often sex is really unsatisfying because men have only been taught through porn and don't have a clue about, you know, how to read a woman's body or how to have this deeply connected spiritual sex. Yeah. So those are some of the things I would say. Yeah. What what do you think? Yeah, no, those those, those are great answers. And I know like with any of these questions, right, if someone were to work with you, these these, uh, wheelhouses get larger. I know there's more to it than that. But I think it's a it's a good question to ask because I think it's uh, detrimental to both people and it's mm. and in the end right the, the the marriage or the relationship isn't unified and made stronger there's just sort of a distancing that starts to happen and it's really um it's really sad to see like I watch people go through it and they're just there's you can see the divide in them emotionally about oh, how they're so hard. it's it's just sucks you know it's like that's not the way it's supposed to be you're married right you you're un, you're in union with somebody and that should be a good thing. And, you know, some of the things, interestingly, like what you just said, um, I've seen definitely with people where, um, like, no one wants no one wants to catch their parents having sex when you're a kid, right? Like, no, none of us want to have that happen. But if you also don't see parents being affectionate with one another, if you don't see them... Um, yeah. if you don't see them wanting each other more or less, you know, the playful, yeah. pat, the playful pat on the butt or the nibbling on the neck, if you don't see that kind of affection growing up between parents, I mean, that, that relationship into these marriages that I'm seeing now, like with people is like, yeah, if they didn't, your parents, whether we like it or not, they modeled the hell out of our, um, like our social kind of rhythms a little bit, you know? And it's like, how do you, and then you get into a very sticky realm of like, yeah, okay, if you can identify that, how do you start to change it as an adult? And I think that's part of what's cool about your work is that like you've said, you. you know what I mean? Like you went from that linear head mind Western thing and you were like, wait a minute, there's a whole other thing here that could yeah. open me up to expression. And I think that's, when we first had our conversation, that was the first part of why I said, I was like, I think actually what you're teaching is going to land because you've actually lived it. Like you've actually, mm-hmm. you've actually like danced between the polarities of like total mental mind repression shutdown to, you know, and now you're kind of integrating and playing off of both. And I think that's like, that's so important. So it kind of gives, again, going back to that portal analogy, it gives people something to walk through. And I think that's so, yeah. so damn important, you know? Um, Thank you. Yeah. What do you, you know, in this larger conversation, like what are, are there things that we haven't touched on that you think are like relevant to what we're discussing that would be, I, I guess, like a further invitation or a deepening, deepening of that invitation that sex can be, you know, something considerably larger and a, a deeper 
part of our life and living and healing. Yeah, is there anything else that you feel, I don't know, that you'd like to touch on that you think is relevant? Yeah, so one thing I want to say is that um, there's a lot of misinformation out there. Um, a lot of times there's this impression that all of this neo-tantric stuff is an ancient practice. And most of the time it's not. Um, but that doesn't mean it doesn't have utility. So I think all of these workshops and all of these things that are exploding right now, there's like Tantra speed date or Tantra whatever. Yeah. And and it, it is new. It's not, these things are not necessarily connected to the old Indian tradition of of Tantra. Um, and, and that's okay. But to just realize that there's all of these resources available now. And I think it's so good because we're so missing. We don't know how to have like non-sexual intimacy. We don't know how to like have great sex. You know, we don't know how to like look at each other in the eyes and where are there opportunities for men and women to connect, uh, that are safer spaces where we can just be with each other energetically in ways that we aren't normally. So, and also I think the sexual healing aspect like the the yoni and linga massage, the penis and pussy massage type of modalities that evolved out of neo-tantra, I think are incredibly helpful, especially for women, for releasing trauma and pain uh, from their bodies. Um, but I would be careful because often in the neo-tantric scene, because we've been so suppressed, um, what I see happen over and over again is that once you uncork desire and sex, you can lose yourself. Yeah. Like mm -hmm. it can be overwhelming and you don't even realize it until it's too late. And in a lot of these, the neo-tantric stuff, the focus is on more and more pleasure, more and more orgasm. So it's like more, more, more. And if you're going into pleasure for the sake of pleasure you can start chasing it in ways that are ultimately harmful to you and other people. So I would say use your discernment, be very careful when you go and ask, always ask, where did your teachings come from? Where did this information come from? You know, and what, how are you holding this? Are you holding this practice as an awakening and liberating, liberating practice or as something that's just seeking more pleasure for the sake of pleasure? Mm -hmm. Um, so, um, I've had, it was such a, <sighs> um, confusing and complicated path for me to tease out, okay, what is this Tantra thing? Because as a scientist and as a skeptic, when I came to this world, I was like, what is this stuff? Where did it come from? Who are you? What gave you this yeah. authority? Yeah. You know? And, um, so I asked a lot of questions. It took me a couple of years, but, um, so, and I'm really glad that I asked because then I found the deeper classical tantric practices of meditation, the science of consciousness, where the focus is on liberation from suffering, and it's not endless chasing after pleasure. And because I have that very strong grounding and that very strong, you know, clear view of what I'm doing and why. I was able to not get lost. You know, I was able to bring those awareness practices to the pleasure practices. Mm -hmm. Basically what I'm trying to say here is that 
if you don't have a practice of discipline or meditative awareness and you just go into lots of pleasure practices, you can lose your center. So I really suggest, mm. I mean, I would suggest to try to do both. I know that's a tall order or at least to just be careful. Yeah. Um, and funny enough, when I asked a lot of the neo-tantra teachers and did investigations of where did this stuff come from, a lot of it is traced back to Taoism. Really? Um, yeah, because the the actual tantric practices mm -hmm. these didn't they didn't come from there, um, from the classical tantra. I mean, scholars are still doing a lot of investigation, but sure. Um, yeah. Well, um, thank you for that, and I'm I'm not surprised in a sense like oh really Taoism had those practices. I just didn't know that they were linked potentially, and maybe more so than we thought. Um, I think you bring up a really good point, and I think especially nowadays, I think it's a really, you know, I had I had um, many episodes back. I, I've had a number of martial artists on, and one of the things I ask martial artists when they're going to scout schools or, or whatnot, I'm like, what are the things to be aware of? Like, what are the cautions? Like the things that will kind of, what are you looking for in an instructor that could be problematic? Are they mm -hmm. overly dogmatic? Are they trying to make you just like them? You know, are they overly mm -hmm. aggressive? Um, you know, are, are they trying to telekinetically move you with chi across the room and saying that you can do that to someone on the street? Like these are all, yeah. re all red flags that you should be like, uh, so I think it's really nice that you're sort of giving a little bit of a cautionary tale and saying like, look, if you're going to open this box up, this sexual, um, you know, wheelhouse of, of things, be mindful uh -huh. and have a meditative, uh, anchor in this too, because it is a, it is, it is sensitive terrain. I mean, like you said, right. There's so much in terms of trauma. There's so much in terms of just personal expression, yeah. vulnerability. And I think that's the been the really sad thing. You know, you see people and it's happened, you know, especially nowadays, like you, you hear people in positions of power who have like a spiritual title who are, you know, oh just gosh. totally abusing it. And it's, um, I mean, it's just so damn unfortunate because it's like, even if there were good teachings in there, then the bad name taints a lot of you, people end up throwing out the baby with the bathwater. And it's like, that's unfortunate, you know, because one person's piggybacking um, the ideology or the method and then, you know, just poisoning it, like doing it. I think that's a really, it's a really unfortunate thing. But um, again, I'm kind of just so happy that you're doing this work and doing it with integrity mm -hmm. and you're approaching it from a place. It sounds like, you know, you're like, yeah, I've, <laughs> I've kind of gone through the gamut here and I've also seen some of the, yes. you know, the, the pitfalls. And I think that's the beauty of like good teachers is that I think you try to like shorten the curve for your students and guide them. They're still going to have to find their way, but I think it's like if you can make it a little safer, a little more efficient and more accessible, then I think that's like a, a good place to be, you know, and you're, you're doing that. So I appreciate that. That was like, I saw that right away. I was like, you're doing this for the right reasons and that's good to see, you know? Mm -hmm. well, thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want this work to cause even more harm. And so many teachers out there do. Mm -hmm. Um, one thing, you know, the sign of of a teacher in this realm who really understands the gravity of this is that with their experience comes humbleness, right? Mm -hmm. it, when you really, when you really understand and have a deep practice, it doesn't serve to elevate you above anyone else, but instead brings you deeper into connection and shows you how you're not different or better than anyone else, mm -hmm. uh, no matter how many orgasms you have. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. My <laughs> orgasms supersede yours, right? <laughs> Therefore, I win. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, that would be lame. <laughs> I don't think that would be well received by anybody. <laughs> I mean, I, I know that would be a turnoff for me. I'd be like, really? That's and we're done. Before we've even begun, we're done. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, Ananya, thank you so much for for doing this and for taking some time to just. Um, you know, to, to unearth kind of like the deeper layers of what you're doing and opening, opening, I think a larger conversation that, you know, we need to have. I mean, I think it's just really good for people to hear. And, you know, the, the, the funny thing, right, is about sex is that everybody wants to talk about it. Everybody does want to hear about it. I guarantee you, like people will be like, really? Oh, there's, we're talking about sex and orgasms during a podcast. People are going to like be apt to tune in. And I think that's sort of an indicator of how much, uh, how important it is to us. Like we all know that it carries weight, but it gets mm-hmm. lost in like the hows, the whys, how do you implement, how do you, how do you move forward? Um, so yeah, thank you for, for doing this and for, for being here. If, um, if people want to find you or like follow your work or check, check you out on social media, what are the best ways for them to do that? Mm-hmm. Uh, they can find me on Facebook under Ananya Harvey. Uh, they can find my website. It's thenextlevellove.com. Uh, or they can email me at ananyaharvey at gmail.com. Beautiful. Well, thank you again. Um, I really appreciate your time. Yeah, I appreciate everything that you're, that you're doing. And I, yeah, I just, I'm grateful that you were here and able to talk about this more. Yeah, thank you so much. It was great to talk to you, Gray. (laughs) Yeah, you bet. Okay, take care.